Hey everybody and welcome to the show. Hey listen, I went to Global Vision Bible Church yesterday with my friend, senior pastor Greg Locke. It's out in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And Charlie Kirk came and he spoke and I think you guys need to hear this message. It is so critical and so timely. And so we're going to go ahead and play that message on today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. What, what Greg is doing is so amazing and keeping the church open when so many other churches refuse to do is so incredible. It really is. So it's an honor to be with you today. We're crisscrossing the country. Uh, as many of you may or may not know, there's an election. I think it's in 10 days, nine days. Not that anyone's counting. We've been all across the country from Florida to Arizona to Ohio to Minnesota. We'll be going in Wisconsin tomorrow, then back to Phoenix, then back to Florida. And we had an open day. And the way I'm kind of hardwired, especially close to an election, there, there's, there's no sitting. So I just, I just went through my phone. I'm like, where can I speak? What can I do? Like, oh, yeah, Gre Greg has a church that's open. I just texted him. And we just found a date that worked. And so it's such an honor to be with you today. And I, I want to talk about a couple things, the first of which uh, is kind of, of course, the election and what Christians should do in this election. Yeah. And so first, let's just establish what I believe and why I believe it. I'm a Bible-believing evangelical Christian. I believe in the inerrancy of God's Word. I believe in the triune God, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe that God works in miraculous ways and is still working in miraculous ways in this country at this time. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we as Christians are called to be involved in the political sphere. I do. So before I even get into that, some people here may have never heard the gospel before. The gospel in four words, three words, two words, one word, and then the big word, grace. We just sang a whole song about it. Four words. Jesus took my place. There is a, there is a judgment coming for all of us. Every one of us here, we know it. We're eventually going to die. And it, for those of us that are Christians, we know exactly what happens and where we're going. And everyone out there that says, man, I, I think about it. I don't want to think about it. It's okay. God has a gift for you that you have to just say yes to. Gospel in three words. Jesus, four words, Jesus took my place. Him for me is three words. Him for me, two words, substitutionary atonement. One word, grace. What does that word mean? We sing about it. Well, let's pretend that you commit a crime. Let's pretend you do something wrong, and then you go in front of a judge. Let's first talk about justice, mercy, grace, three different types of words. Justice is you get exactly what you deserve. You lied, you stole, you cheated, you did something that wasn't right. All of us are sinners, by the way. That's something that we as Christians believe, that no more of this kind of moral measuring stick, that I'm a better person than you are. Like, let's just drop all those preconditions. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Justice is you get exactly what you deserve. And we deserve to go to eternal suffering. That's what we deserve. Because we are depraved by nature. God made us perfectly. We rebelled against him. Sin is growing in distance from God. That's judgment. Mercy is you go in front of the judge and he's like, I'll, I'll have you suffer a little bit. That's mercy, a lessened sentence. Grace is when you go in front of the judge and you're about to go to prison and someone says, no, 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 I'll go do the prison sentence for you. That is grace. That is Jesus Christ. So we are called because we are born new as Christians. We should care about all walks of life. We should care about everything on this planet that God made. I believe in comprehensive Christianity, not compartmentalized Christianity. All throughout the Bible, there are examples of people that are framed as heroes 
that influence secular government. Daniel, Mordecai, Esther, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Joseph. All throughout the Old and New Testament, there are examples of people that used God's moral teaching to influence secular governments. And they are looked at favorably. Jesus said, be salt and light in all arenas of American life. So some people say, well, I don't like to get involved in politics as a Christian because I only care about the gospel. That is compartmentalized Christianity, not comprehensive Christianity. Now, I'm not going to say that politics is the purest place for you know, reconciling your differences, but neither is the church. Before we get in our high, moral high ground, let's stop acting like every single church on the planet is acting as if they're better than the U.S. Congress. Anything that is run by human beings is going to be infiltrated with sin, self-interest, and broken by nature. The most important thing you can do in life is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's number one. The second most important thing you can do, though, we don't talk about this enough in the church, is to make sure you can do the first thing. To make sure you can have a gathering. To make sure you can speak your mind. Because before we realize and recognize that most of the rest of the world, China, parts of Southeast Asia, North Korea, they do this, you go to a prison camp. That simple. And most of us in Western society, we take that for granted. Oh, yeah, we can have church, but we, all, we saw the last couple months how quickly they can turn the church off, just like that. Where they can come in, they can say, church not essential, abortion clinics are. They say, church not essential, they say, cannabis dispensaries are. They say, church not essential, they say, home improvement stores are. They say, church not essential, but you can mark through the streets of Nashville with BLM signs, because apparently the virus doesn't hit you. So... What you are doing right now is illegal in the state of California. Pastors like my pastor, Rob McCoy, are under co constant criminal complaints going in front of judges just because he opened his church. So what you're doing right now, even in the open air, is illegal according to Gavin Newsom. Why? Politics. You might not like it. I don't like politics. Well, it touches your life whether you're going to touch it or not. So what do we as Christians do about that? The Bible tells us to be involved in politics. Jesus said, on this rock build my ecclesia, not church. Church is just the English word that we inserted. Ecclesia is, this, is the Koine Greek term that was used that literally meant a civic political gathering around two Greek terms, eleutheria and isonomia, which was what two words in Greek? Freedom and equality. I wonder what country is founded on the ideas of freedom and equality. So... I came across this piece the other day from John Piper, and John Piper's a pastor, and I, I liked John Piper growing up, and I'm, I don't know if you saw this piece or not, he has a big following in the uh, evangelical community, and allegedly is taken very seriously lately on politics, and basically the, para the paraphrasing of the, of the piece is, Donald Trump is such an awful person, he indulges in all these sorts of sins, I am baffled that Christians are putting their name behind it. And now he said that abortion is a sin, I'll give him credit for that. And he said, but conflating that we can try to end abortion with arrogance is also a sin. And he goes in throughout the piece. And I asked myself halfway through, and I looked into this. I said, have you ever even met Donald Trump, Mr. Piper? And as far as I can tell, and I've not received an answer, he has not. He has not said substantive time with this president. I have. I have had a chance to get to know this president. I've had a chance to see his heart for the nation, the heart for Christians, the heart for the church, the heart for Israel, the heart for unborn children. And he goes through, John Piper goes through this piece. And again, John Piper really impacted my life growing up. Great Bible teacher. 
He believes in all the things I said earlier. But then he says that we as Christians, there's no clear choice in 10 days. He says, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'm going to tell you that, you know, if Christians support Donald Trump, it is contradictory to the gospel. Some of the quotes he uses here is that, yes, abortion is a sin, but what about all these other separate sins? Again, first of all, we just as Christians have to admit, stop this moral measuring stick, Mr. John Piper, okay? One day, I hope I can be as good of a human being as you are, okay? Like, oh, I'm such a better person than Donald Trump. We should not endorse it. Hold on a second. I don't see any pastor, any person as myself, trying to defend or qualify any politician's shortcomings, falling distance from God. But what I will defend, and what I will put my name behind, is a man that did move the embassy to Jerusalem when other Republican presidents didn't. A man who put Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett on the United States Supreme Court. And John Piper has to go buy a pair of scissors. He's got to go take out a couple parts of the Bible. Because if you're going to teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, inerrancy of the word of, inerrant word of God, perfect, then you've got to just cut out the story of Samson. Stories, I cannot preach the story to Samson to the youth group. Can't do that without a little bit of changes. God came to Samson twice when he was in the bed with a prostitute, took a jaw of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines. Because he was willing to stand up and fight when the people of God weren't. And yet, he went into the hall of faith in Hebrews by Paul's own writing because he was a man of courage and God used him. What about King David? King David literally had someone murdered, go to war so I can go, lest you guys can fill in the gaps yourself. Yet God said that David was after his own heart. All of us fall short of the glory of God. The question should not be if we're sinners. That is a foolish, moral pietism, legalistic argument on high, like I'm a such a good person and he's not, therefore I'm not going to put... That's not the question. The question is who is contesting for moral truth in this very dark world? Who's actually doing something about it? Who's actually fighting and who's actually... So you, got, you have a choice. Whether I, I wish there were 500 different choices. I would, at times I'm like, yeah, you know, all these sorts of things. I wish that I could have a little more nuance and all this. Whatever. you got two choices. That's it. This third-party nonsense, not going to happen, okay? Third-party vote is basically voting for the opposition. So you got one party that stands for the embassy in Jerusalem, Golan Heights, pro-life, life begins at conception, First and Second Amendment rights, America's the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world, strong military, Iran deal canceled, strong southern border, church is essential, strong nuclear family, and 300 federal judges. That's one party. I can live with that party, okay? Now on the other side, you got another party. You got the other party. They believe in post-birth abortion. They think it's a clump of cells. They believe in no definition of gender or marriage. They are decriminalizing pedophilia in the state of California, SB 145. They want to cancel. They want to cancel Gone with the Wind, but they're perfectly okay with cuties on Netflix. They don't believe in the First Amendment. They don't believe in the Second Amendment. They don't believe in the Fourth Amendment. They think our country is flawed from its nature. They say, keep the borders wide open, close the embassy in Jerusalem, give back the Golan Heights to Syria, reinstate the Iran deal, 
and they want to pack the court, get rid of Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and reverse all of the fair and impartial judges. So that's the choice. Yeah. So we as Christians have to take the moral uploaded app that God gave us. Right. Remember, the law are the wiser restraints that keep men free. The more that you obey the law, the more you're actually free. We tell our young people the exact opposite. We tell them the more that you indulge yourself, the more you're free. We know that's not true. God gave us the law not to be the fun police. He gave us the law to try to point us to Christ, Galatians 3. So we have a choice, right, 10 days from now. Either we are going to reassert that our rights come from God, not from government, that we are made in the image of God, and that this country is a gift from God that we must fight for and preserve. And it really is one choice or the other. And so for Mr. Piper, he says in his article, I don't want to get into politics. Oh, no, 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 no. You writing this article is you getting into politics. You writing this article. Because if the opposition wins, that means only one, that means a million abortions a year through the public financing of Planned Parenthood. That means judges that will not reverse the immoral, unconstitutional decision of Roe versus Wade. It says very clearly in the scriptures, I knew you when you were in the womb. It says that Jesus was jumping in the mother's womb. We know that human beings in the womb are made in the image of God and they deserve constitutional rights just like the rest of us. And what Mr. Piper is doing here, and he's not the only Christian, he's one of the most prominent, one of the most loud Christians. He's, try he's trying to give cover fire to Christians that really is what it comes down to is this is they don't want Christians to ever get into anything that is disagreeable by nature. This is a misapplication of the gospel. We must have 100% grace, that is Jesus. We also must have 100% truth. And sometimes when you have 100% truth and you step on someone's toes, you're actually trying to get into their heart. Because when you're talking about communicating truth in this world, Jesus said, the word of the Lord came to not bring people together, but to divide father against son, brother against sister. And that's a harsh teaching sometimes for us. But how about this? Where was the American church when California passes SB 145, which most people don't even know about, which allows judges in California to say, if you're a pedophile, you do not have to register in the sex registry database. A law in California. Now, many of you remember years ago, we've been warning like, hey, there's a growing pedophile movement in this country, and yet we were called all these in awful things, oh, that's never going to happen. So Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, 100,000 businesses go under, more young people commit suicide than die of the virus, depression, social isolation, alcoholism, and what's his list of priorities? Not trying to get people back to work, not trying to say that church is essential, instead he says, I know I'm going to go pander to the pedophile lobby in California. Now, if you're trying to tell me that Christians are not supposed to speak out, not supposed to do something about that, then we have a totally different book than we're reading from, everybody. So we're in the final push, the final stretch. The, the margins, I think, will be close, and it's still to be determined. The, the opposition is outspending us. I think we're outworking them now. Yeah. We're, 
We're knocking on more doors. We're making more phone calls. We're making more speeches. And, you know, this election has been one that has been very, very trying on the president, very trying on all of us that have been involved, because the nastiness, the venom from the opposition is unlike, we've, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And you are starting to see, in my, in my observation, you're starting to see people really wake up. You're starting to see people look at the landscape, and they're starting to ask themselves the question, what kind of country do I want to live in? What is this country? Is this country just a blip on the radar, and we're like every other country? Or is, this, or is there something different here? And if we are different, why are we different? Well, first of all, we're the first country ever to be founded by activist pastors. We don't talk about this enough. Pastors like you. The first great awakening founded this country. 51 out of 55 of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were Bible-believing, church-attending Christians. As soon as you start reading the Bible and you start understanding what it says, you then ask yourself, wait, why are we taking orders from this King George guy? Our rights come from God, not from the crown. That sowed the seeds for liberty, and it inspired the American Revolution. We won the American Revolution. We created the United States Constitution, where it says clearly in Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4, that there is no blood right to rule in this country. Think about that. Most of human history, it's who your father is, who you're related to. They went out of their way in the U.S. Constitution to say means nothing. It doesn't matter if your father is governor. You don't get to also be governor because of that. Now, we take this so for granted. And people like Mr. Piper are willing to throw that away because he has no idea what he's talking about politically. He should stay out of this space because he's a fool when it comes to this stuff. Because the recognition that is a multi-thousand year leap forward, everybody, almost all of human history, is you live under a king or queen, you go fight their silly wars, you die of either a disease, a, a, some sort of military conflict, or just of natural death by 31 to 35, and if you're lucky, you'll have a couple kids. That's human history for 2,000 years. Then something changed. Why did it change? It changed because people read the word, they did something about it, and they formed a government that is truly the type of government that is talked about in the word of God, which is a constitutional republic, checks and balances. The people are the sovereign. The rights come from God, not from government, and government is not allowed to come into your life and shut down your church, take your weapons, spy on you, tell you how to live your life. And what have we seen since? Has the world become a better place because of the United States of America? It's not even a question, and we take it for granted. We don't teach it to our young people. Ah, oh, this country, what's the big difference? What, what happens if America's season has passed? We are the first benevolent superpower ever to exist in the history of the world. We fall, the Chinese Communist Party fills the gap. We fall, Islamic theocratic fascism fills the gap. We fall, secular leftism fills the gap. We're the country that has spread these values all across the planet. Just look at... Hello. Hey, there you go. Good. So, praise God, right? So, no matter what they do, they're not going to shut us down today. Is that right? So,
You look at Korea. Korean War is the Forgotten War. 32,000 Americans died right after World War II. We pushed back Chinese communism back to what is now North and South Korea. South Korea exists because of the sacrifice of America. And all we asked for in return was the land to bury our dead. 100 million people live free in South Korea thanks to the United States of America. We never asked for anything in return. And it's one of the most Christian countries on the planet. Now, why did we do that? We do that because we're some sort of empire. Do we do that because we're some sort of imperial force? We did that because we saw evil on the march and good people did something about it. That's why we did that. Why did, why did we come to the help of the United Kingdom when they were being bombed endlessly under unspeakable evil? When we stormed Normandy Beach and thousands and tens of thousands of people from this part of the world died never to, never to raise a family at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. It's because we saw evil on the march and good people did something about it. And we defeated two forms of fascism in two different continents in three years or less. Liberated all of Western Europe, came back to America, the greatest economic boom ever. We created a middle class unlike anything the world has ever seen. Fought the Korean War while we were at it. And then in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, we grew to be so powerful, eventually we took down Soviet communism. But then something happened in 1991. The Soviet wall fell, and a lot of us took it easy. We acted as if, now that the wall is over, the fight against bad ideas is over. And just because the wall fell and Soviet communism fell does not mean that these people stopped working for the destruction of Western civilization. And now all of that 25, 26, 27 years is coming to a head right now. Right now. So the question is, what do we do about it? What do we as believers do about that? So we have a vertical relationship that Jesus Christ is the king of the world. And we want to make sure we can still practice our faith and also create a civic and civil government of which it is told many times in the Old Testament we are called to do that. What does that government look like? That government should be one that protects the rights of every single person that is made in the image of God. That government should be one that is unafraid to go after people that exploit their power illegally against the weak or the innocent. That is a government that respects private property rights, respects a system that has created more wealth and more opportunity than, ever, than any other country has ever seen in the history of the world. And so, yes, that's exactly right. We must vote, whoever said that. And some Christians, some pastors are being so misled because they don't want the disagreement. They're set, and by the way, some of these pastors, they're like, well, I don't like politics. I, I don't. Meanwhile, they're mobilizing their congregation, the BLM Incorporated. They're keeping their church closed while they are cowardly pandering to the tyrannical mayors and the tyrannical political leaders. And here's what will happen. If the other side takes power, they won't shut down all the churches immediately. They'll shut down the churches they don't like. They'll shut down the churches that are disagreeable. They'll go after the ones that have spoke out a little bit. They're going to try to make examples of them. And they'll go find John Piper to give them cover fire. Oh, John Piper, he wrote that beautiful essay that helped us get power. John Piper helped us decriminalize pedophilia. John Piper helped us slaughter more un un unborn babies. That's what he's writing. I don't want to be political. You got a choice, Mr. Piper. And when you write when you're in the middle, you're either on the side of good or you're on the side of evil. And you right now in the middle are on the other side of this conversation.
Okay. Just making sure I'm good on time. Post the election, whatever might happen, I think we all know and we all recognize and understand that there's only so many of these close calls that we're going to be able to survive. Young people in this country are being deceitfully led to hate this greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. And people say, Charlie, what's it going to take for us to hit a, another awakening in this country? And I truly believe that in order to get to an awakening, we must have people that are willing to pay the price with courage to spread truth. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. What is the number one form of censorship in this country? Big tech censors us. We have professors that censor our young people. We have teachers that censor you. But the number one form of censorship in this country is you. It's self-censorship. It's when you don't wear the hat when you go into the grocery store. You kind of put it into a, you know, you put it into a little bag. I don't, I don't want the disagreement. You don't wear the cross when you see that one family member. You put it underneath because you're afraid of what might come after you. It's when you don't wear the God is real shirt. You kind of cover it up right into the store. And I get it. I'm right there with you at times. Even when I'm in Phoenix, I have my MAGA hat. I'm like, I don't want the problem. Just kind of put it off. I get it. I'm, I'm not acting like I'm better than you. Even where all, of, all of the arguments and stuff I make, I'm like, I don't want some lunatic coming up. And I'm wrong when I do that. Because every time that I self-censor, they win. Every time that we speak a little bit less, all of a sudden the opposition is able to have the moral high ground. What I have come to realize is the people that wish to shut us up, the people that wish to punish us, they're actually all cowards. When you express truth to these people, clearly you are able to that, not just win the argument, but you're, and sometimes you're actually able to turn these people. I really see this. And the one thing that has bothered me the most the last couple of weeks is everyone says the silent majority, the silent majority. I ask myself, why so silent? We are 10 days out, everybody. If we make our voice heard and we are not so silent and we are proclaiming truth unapologetically, filled with reason, filled with grace, never being rude, never being arrogant, being compassionate, but also unwavering in why we believe what we believe, the silent majority can't afford to be silent any longer, everybody. And I'll close with this. For young people out there, there is, a, there, is a, there is a sequence of very deceiving narratives being fed at young people in this country. That somebody else will fix your problems. That if you just give them more power, they'll forgive your debt. That if you just give them more power, then all of a sudden your life will be better. All these people are pathological liars that just want to be in places of power. I'm going to talk to some of the adults about how we've actually handed in some ways, a less than desirable country to young people. But first to young people, do not allow anyone on either side of the aisle to convince you that anyone but yourself is responsible for your life.
There's plenty of difficulty. The shutdowns will go down as one of the worst mistakes in American history. We never should have done it. There is no scientific reason to shut down the society and quarantine the healthy. When you have depression, suicide, alcoholism, social isolation, business closures, disruption, and meanwhile the rich are wealthier than ever before. But I encourage every young person watching this both online and in person, reject the temptation, because that's what it is. It's a temptation, I believe, that is rooted in sin to say, I'm not where I want to be because of that. Now, mind you, there might be some truth to it, but that's still not a narrative. That is still not a story that you should tell yourself. Instead, you should say, that's, a, that's an obstacle. What am I going to do to improve my own personal life? What, what am I going to do to all of a sudden make myself a better prepared, better informed, more likely to succeed person in this society? Because the moment that you have more people that believe on this side that I'm going to go blame other people and then actually look inwardly, the society will break in half. And that's exactly what we have done at colleges across the country. Instead of telling young people, what we used to tell young people is, you're the problem and America is great. Let's try to fix you. Instead, we say, you're great and America's the problem. Let's try to burn down America. So you have young people that have never went through the process of trying to explore truth, become stronger human beings, develop skills. By the time they're 22, 23, 24, all they have been filled with is that everything to the exterior is the problem, when in reality we all know, and the biblical doctrine tells us this, the problems are in the heart. The problems are with us. The problems are with our, the choices that we make in this world. And so that's, that's my first piece to the young people out there. Take responsibility for your life. If you don't take responsibility for your life, you will be a miserable person. You will be. Blaming other people feels good in the short term. It will never give you a meaningful life. Every young person out here right now, you can do one thing, you could do one less thing that you know is not good for you that will improve your life. It might be a substance. It might be a website. It might be a friend. Stop doing that one thing for 30 days and see if your life will improve. You see, we have a false doctrine in the secular world we have told young people that you need more of something to find happiness. The opposite's actually true. You need to stop doing certain things to actually live a better life. We have more access to more nonsense that we have ever seen on our planet. Actually doing less of those things, subtracting it back into the word and reapplying yourself and rededicating yourself and saying, I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. I feel crummy today because I made bad choices last night. I can't find a job because maybe I'm not applying myself properly. And I understand it's tempting everybody to say it's that person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's that person's fault. Now to the adults out there, let's just be honest. With all of that foundation being you know, laid. And young people, you can't use this as an excuse. You are not leaving a better country for your kids and grandkids. You're not. Now, mind you, I just gave young people no excuse. They got to apply themselves. But we are leaving a less free, less prosperous, less stable country for young people. Number one, these lockdowns did nothing but made us closer to become a socialist country. If you want, if you want to turn a generation to be so hopeless, to lose their faith in the American system, where they say no sports, no social gatherings, no gyms, no bars, no church, no, no jobs, no movement, just sit at home, watch the box, 
Well, of course, they're going to turn to be more liberal because they're consuming liberal content for eight hours a day. They have no earnings, no wealth, and we expect them just all of a sudden pop up. Now, again, I have, as I previously said, do not fall into that. But you look that on the macro, don't be surprised when they start to blame other people. So we are right at the line right now, everybody, societally, culturally, of what kind of country we're going to be in. And that's why I think this election is more than just an election. Right now, it is a choice where we are trying to map our future. Are we going to go this direction where we value the ideas and the principles and the rededication of the American culture that really made us the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world? Or are we going to embrace the Californication of America? And mind you, what's so incredibly scary is that the wealthiest and the rich people are going to be just fine. That is why the billionaires are supporting Joe Biden. That's why the, the mega companies, the trillion dollar companies. This is really a question. And this part of the world has more of this type of patriotic American than almost any other part. The muscular class, the middle class Americans, the people that shower before work and shower after work, the people that believe firmly that you work hard and play by the rules and your life will improve. They're trying to crush this part of the world, and you know it. Silicon Valley in Washington, D.C., and Manhattan, New York, they are all in collusion together to crush this part of America. What kind of country do you want to chart our trajectory towards? And I'll close with this. The one thing that bothers me the most is when people act as if politics is a spectator sport. They act as if it's watching the Tennessee Titans. The difference between watching the Tennessee Titans, I think they're playing today, right? The, the difference between watching the Tennessee Titans and politics is that no matter how much you have convinced yourself, there is nothing you can do to actually impact the outcome of the game today. That special lucky hat you wear, this, the chair that you sit in, you screaming really loud, it actually has no impact whatsoever at all. I know a lot of us convinced ourselves of that. I sit in the chair, it's the perfect angle, I eat the special chili, I have the window perfectly open, I have to be watching it alone, and they always win. It's all karmic nonsense, okay? The difference, though, between all of those very well-intentioned, light-hearted beliefs of the Tennessee Titans and Donald Trump is you can actually do something about Trump winning. Is that... Today, when you, watch, when you watch the Titans, it's just going to be a spectator. Hope and pray, watch somebody else's. Unless the offensive coordinator is here at our service today for the Tennessee Titans, nobody here has an impact. But here's the thing. You're 10 days out. Are you making phone calls for the president? Because you can at DonaldJTrump.com. You can make calls all across the country. Maybe you should fill up a bus and say, we're going to go drive to Ohio nonstop. We're going to go knock on doors from now to the election. I'm going to take Friday, Saturday, Sunday, before the election, go knock on 100 doors. Maybe I'm just going to go put up Trump signs everywhere, made, made at home, and I'm just going to make sure people know they're not alone. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to go find the local Republican office here in Tennessee. I'm just going to go bring them some food because yeah. they need a little bit of help. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to bring them some prayer because they need some yeah. of that too. Maybe I'm going to reach out to every person running for local office. So do not treat this election like a football game, everybody, because you can actually do something about it. And let me tell you what we're doing about it. At Turning Point Action, our political arm, we have mobilized students to knock on 100,000 doors in the last seven days. Wow. 
We are making phone calls. We are giving five or six speeches a day. We're doing two podcasts a day, two hours of radio a day. Yeah. We're, speaking every, we're speaking at every church we possibly can. Because I really believe that if you talk a good game, you better act a good game with this stuff. And so the question truly is, it's a republic if you can keep it. Benjamin Franklin said that. We've been given this gift, everybody. In 10 days from now, if Joe Biden gets elected president of the United States, I'll be able to live with one thing, that I worked as humanly hard as I possibly could have. There's still time left on the clock. Ten days is nothing, everybody. So I challenge you. My charge to you is this. Do something that will help move the dial. Because you might wake up the next morning with Joe Biden on the screen, and you'll remember back in that outdoor sermon, you're like, man, I wish I would have done something when Charlie said it was going to be close. Because it is. Every vote will count. We're being outspent 10 to 1. Social media, big tech manipulation, all of it. We need not just you to vote, but your 15 friends to vote. And you bring them, you name them by name, and you bring them to the polls. We've been given this amazing gift, everybody. And this president is fighting so hard for our country, for the American church, and for Western civilization. So I want to just thank all of you for having me here today. We have a country to save. And my political philosophy is very simple the next 10 days. We win, they lose. Thank you guys so much. It's been great. Hello, my name is Pastor Todd Coconato, and this broadcast is brought to you by Remnant Ministries, and we are fully self-funded. We have been attacked on social media and literally cannot even do any advertisement or get any monetary compensation for anything that we do online. So the only way that we're able to do these broadcasts is by your support. I need your help, guys. We really feel called of God to get this information out, but we can't do it without your listener support. You are crucial. You're a critical part of what God is doing in this ministry. If you are able, please go to www.toddcoconato.com slash give. That's T-O-D-D-C-O-C-O-N-A-T-O dot com slash give. And please help us in this fight that we're in. Thank you so much and may God bless you.